Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I love your new radio voice on these new microphones that we have that we're yes. so lucky to have now. Yeah, you sound much different with a new microphone than I remember from last this time we talked. This is my original <laughs> voice. Yeah, I'm so excited. I didn't mean to even go on with that for so long, but I apparently committed and kept going. But yes, our audio should sound better now, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I know. I was very excited to get our new microphones. We've been talking about getting new mics for a little while, and we finally decided let's just do it. Let's go crazy. Let's just get new mics. And we are so happy to have them. So yeah, hopefully you guys will notice an improvement in the sound quality and um, that you like that. Or wouldn't it be funny if somebody, yeah, if somebody wrote and was like, I actually liked the old sound quality whenever it sounded like you guys were both in wells at your own homes. (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully, and give us a little bit of grace because we're learning the new audio and it can be a little different, but I think it should sound fine. Yes. Fine. I yes. Know I said fine. For sure. Yes. 
Yeah, so not only did we get new mics, but I also am using a whole new um, system to record into and everything. So it's all new for me. Melissa has been on this system for quite some time, and I am just joining her. Now we're both using the same everything. So yes, hopefully that will improve the podcast quality for everybody listening. So yeah, we're very excited and excited to get into this episode this week. This is another story that's just really, really heartbreaking, really tragic, but also has some very, very interesting and crazy details. So we will get right into it. It's not very often that you hear somebody say that their childhood was so perfect that they would actually rate it a 100 out of 100, but those are the exact words used by a man named Darren Mack. He was born January 31st, 1961 in Reno, Nevada to what he described as extremely loving parents, Joan and Dennis. Joan was a practicing Mormon while Dennis was Jewish, but the family made this dynamic work and raised Darren and his younger brother, Landon, in a mixed religious household. The family lived in Reno, and that's where Darren and his brother grew up. In high school, Darren played baseball, and he went on to play baseball at Phoenix College, and then he transferred to the University of Nevada, Reno, and finished one and a half years of school. When Darren was 25, his father, who he was always very close to, tragically died in a plane crash, which left Darren and his brother devastated. After his father passed, Darren left college to help with the family business, which was a pawn shop called Palace Loan and Jewelry Incorporated. After his dad died, Darren became the co-owner of this business alongside his mom. Darren was proficient with weapons, and he regularly carried a gun in an ankle holster due to the security risk that working in the pawn business came with. The same year that his father died, Darren got married to his first wife, Deborah. They had two children together named Jory and Elise. This marriage did not last very long, and after five years, they got divorced in 1991. And Darren alleged that Deborah had an affair, and that was the reason that they ended their relationship. Back in the early 90s, Darren had that tall, dark, and handsome look that made women just fall at his feet. He was a very attractive guy. He took great care of himself. At one point, he got involved in bodybuilding, and he started adhering to this very strict lifestyle, and he was just a very disciplined man. In 1994, Darren met a special woman named Sharla who really caught his attention. He had an instant attraction to her. He described her as being beautiful, bright, talented, and he said they had a really great connection in the bedroom. Sharla was five years younger than Darren, and when they met, he was 32 and she was 27. At some point, Sharla began working at the pawn shop that was owned by Darren and his mom. And after less than a year of dating, Darren and Sharla were married on May 13, 1995 in Lake Tahoe. Right away, though, Sharla became a pretty high-maintenance wife. She began spending insane amounts of money. Darren was actually bringing in around $44,000 a month, which back in 1995, I mean, now is a ton, but back in 1995 was even more. Today, it would be around $76,000 a month, and Sharla was literally blowing through it. She bought toys, photographs, traveled, you know, anything she could spend money on, she would spend money on. Charlotte didn't really clean at the house, and Darren said he actually needed to have two housekeepers to keep up with her. Charlotte had not been brought up with riches, so it's possible that she was really just taken with this new idea of having all this money. Charlotte was born August 15, 1966 in California. She was raised without her father in the picture, but was very close to her mom, Soraya, and her brother, Christopher. She really struggled at a young age understanding why her dad had left the family, but according to her mother, Charlotte was very well adjusted. 
She said that she was outgoing, personable, and extremely kind and nurturing. She also said that she was wise and funny. Much like Darren, Charlotte was also very beautiful and really took her health and fitness seriously. But under this exterior image of perfection that Charlotte fronted, there was really a darker side that only Darren knew. As soon as the couple were married, Charlotte allegedly began a pattern of abusive behavior towards her new husband. During the honeymoon, the honeymoon, I repeat, Charlotte actually kicked Darren in his groin and then screamed at him whenever he stopped her. Wow. Yeah. Well, whenever that happens on your honeymoon, like you're, it's literally the honeymoon period and that happens, you know, that's right. not. <laughs> yeah. It can only get worse from there. Yeah. Right. And so this abuse does continue, allegedly, whenever they get home. Charlotte was emotionally and physically abusive, called Darren names. She was very demeaning towards him. She had frequent immature tantrums. And Darren would often just give her whatever she wanted to get her to stop acting ridiculous and just to make the abuse stop. She also argued with him and abused him both verbally and emotionally at the pawn shop to the point that Darren had to fire his own wife from his own business. Imagine getting fired from oh your my job gosh. and going home to the person that fired you. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> like, how does that dynamic even work? Uh, how was your day? Not great. I got fired right. by you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems like it would be a little bit awkward. Charlotte's outbursts varied in severity, but her behavior included things like chasing Darren around the house with a knife and throwing things at him, such as I assume glass dishes, but it just said dishes in the research. So the couple sought counseling together, and the therapist even told Darren to avoid Charla at all costs if he valued his life, which that is Whoa. kind of scary for your uh, couple's therapist to tell you that. Like if they are, you know, they're really there to help you work through and to help you stay together with this person and have better communication. And if your therapist is like, hey, I don't know about this, like this seems like it could potentially be dangerous for you. Right. Um, that's a little scary. That's definitely alarming. But those who knew Sharla had a completely different take on the whole situation and the couple's entire relationship. Everyone thought Sharla was a wonderful mother and this great wife and that she really loved being in those roles. And that's what she always wanted for herself. You know, she always wanted to have this perfect, beautiful family. Sharla's mom, Soraya, believed that Darren was actually the abuser in the relationship, not Sharla. She said that she lived with the couple for two years and she stayed at their house for weeks at a time and said that she witnessed firsthand who was responsible for most of the fights between them. Darren and Charlotte eventually had one child together, a daughter named Erica, plus Darren had two kids, as we said, from his first marriage that he had partial custody of. According to Soraya, Darren once forced Charlotte to move out of their home for six months, and Soraya stayed in the home with Darren and the kids because Charlotte said, hey, mom, please stay there. I really want you to look after my daughter, Erica. By all accounts, Charlotte was a very involved and doting mom to the little girl, and she was active in her life and activities and often volunteered at the elementary school. But according to Darren, this was just all a facade. Darren alleged that Charlotte came from a very dysfunctional home and that her mom, Soraya, constantly had new men in and out of the house and also said that Soraya was abusive towards Charlotte and even introduced her to drugs. It's unclear what the truth really is there, but Darren pretty much says, hey, the reason Charlotte is the way that she is is because this is how she also grew up in her own home. Right. 
In 2002, the family was shook when Darren suddenly came down with spinal meningitis, which is really terrifying. That's actually one of those illnesses that I kind of think about sometimes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so scary because it comes on so suddenly and you have to have it treated right away pretty much. It can be fatal in a very short period of time. So this is very, very scary. So he became partially paralyzed and this paralysis lasted for three months. After a year of working really hard, Darren did make a recovery, but Soraya credits herself and Sharla for that. Darren did acknowledge that they did play a huge role in his recovery. He actually went on a radio station where he thanked his mother-in-law and his wife for saving his life. But then a short time later, Darren started saying that the only reason he got sick in the first place was because he was so stressed out from being married to Sharla and that he just he could not handle the amount of stress that she was putting on him. Hmm. Following the scary bout with spinal meningitis, Darren allegedly had this epiphany about living life to the fullest, and he wanted to get out there and experience more things for himself. Specifically, Darren was interested in joining the swinger lifestyle. Sharla, however, allegedly was not interested. She felt that she was no longer this young party girl, and she really wanted to focus on being a mom and doing mom things and not being out looking for dates with other couples. According to Soraya, when Charlotte refused to participate in this lifestyle, that's when Darren decided to end the relationship. But according to Darren, that's not really how things went down. He says that after his near-death experience and the way that Charlotte treated him while he was recovering from that, that was the real reason that he wanted to get a divorce. And as far as the swinger thing goes, Darren says that was actually all Sharla's idea. He claimed that in the very beginning of their marriage, the early years, that they actually would go on vacation to Jamaica. And while they were there, they would participate in swinging. And Darren said that this eventually led them to having an open marriage where they could each have outside relationships of their own. Darren claimed that he only cheated on Sharla one time after she did it first, which That's kind of a common thing in this couple's relationship was that it was kind of a lot of like, you know, back and forth with like, oh, he did it or you did it or you know what I'm saying? Just kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. Just constantly trying to get one over on the other person. And, you know, that kind of thing escalates very quickly into like just chaos, you know, within a relationship. Yeah. By July of 2004, the couple was completely separated. And early in 2005, the official divorce proceedings began. Sharla did not accept this divorce, and she allegedly began stalking Darren and actually escalated her abusive behavior. The couple was not able to agree on anything when it came to their divorce. They argued over distribution of property, which meant the court had to get involved in this. That's when Judge Charles Weller, a family court judge, took over the case. He held a hearing about the property settlement and ordered that within 48 hours of the settlement, Darren must pay Sharla a sum of $480,000. $50,000 of this, Sharla was able to use for whatever she wanted, and the rest was to be used for her buying herself a house and a vehicle. So what did we say he was making a month? $40,000? Yeah, $44,000. So that's a whole year's worth of income you're supposed to give her in... 48 hours. That's right. Whoa. So Judge Weller also ordered Darren to pay Sharla $10,000 a month in alimony. And Darren's listening to this. He's hearing this. He's trying to get this divorce over with, quite frankly. But it's telling the judge, hey, I can't come up with $480,000 in two days without borrowing this money from someone else. So the court pauses the proceedings while each party speaks to their lawyers. And another hearing is scheduled for May 24th, 2006. 
During this second hearing, Judge Weller awarded Charlotte and Darren joint custody of their daughter, Erica. He also ordered Darren to pay 18% of his gross monthly income to Charlotte for child support. So his monthly gross income was over $44,000, as we said. So child support would have been over $7,000 a month. But according to Nevada law, you only had to pay $849 a month. So that's what he was actually ordered to pay. So I guess that's actually the max, but the judge was asking for more, but the state law wouldn't allow it anyway. So this is, though, in addition to the $10,000 a month that he's paying her in alimony. So Sharla was also awarded possession of the couple's home, which Darren had originally requested for himself. Not only did Judge Weller not grant his request, but he also ordered him to pay the mortgage, the taxes, and all the bills related to the house while Sharla was living there. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, at this point, I'm thinking, how do you spend $44,000 a month? And now when I'm hearing this, I'm like, oh, apparently you could spend $44,000 a month just paying her stuff. Right. You know, this is so much. So according to Darren, Judge Weller showed some sort of prejudice towards him and seemed to favor Charlotte in the divorce. Darren felt like he was being bullied into agreeing to these terms because Judge Weller threatened him with jail time and further support obligations if he didn't. He also said that the judge threatened to hold a custody trial and really held it over his head that he could remove his daughter Erica from his custody. Darren really believed that the judge was in cahoots with Charlotte's attorney. But as we said, Darren had money to hire his own good counsel, and his attorneys felt that Judge Weller's decision was egregious, and they had the grounds to appeal to the Nevada Supreme Court. Well, Charlotte knew if this goes to the Supreme Court, she's not going to really get anything. So she makes this huge effort to come to this last minute settlement with Darren before it goes to the Supreme Court. Interestingly enough, while all of this is going on, in March of 2006, Darren comes across this blog that's written by a woman named Alicia Bittison. She posted this blog about Judge Weller because she was also in the middle of this custody battle with her ex-husband and she had this really terrible experience. And she felt, just like Darren, that she was being treated unfairly. And so Darren talks to her, and the couple actually begins dating. Then three months later, a shocking and unthinkable crime occurred. And we're going to get into more details of this case after one quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. We've both been sleeping a whole lot better thanks to our new sponsor, Sleep Number. Sleep Number beds allow you to take charge of your sleep with their custom settings. I like a slightly softer bed, so I'm sleeping great at a Sleep Number 30, while on the other side of my bed, my husband likes his side a little firmer at a 40. Mandy, I had a really great experience at the Sleep Number store. How was yours? My experience at the store was amazing. As soon as I walked in, I felt like I was really getting the VIP treatment. The atmosphere of the store was very calming, and there was no hard selling tactics involved. Melissa, how was the setup process of getting your bed? It was great. When they showed up, they actually helped us move our old bed into my daughter's room and did the complete setup for our bed in about an hour. They showed us all the buttons, all the gadgets, all the things you can do with your bed to get the best night's sleep. So by the time they left, we felt totally prepared and ready for the perfect night's sleep, which we got. Mandy, you're a data geek, so I know you're loving the real-time stats from the sleep number. Yes, I absolutely love all the data that my sleep number bed collects on me and allows me to make changes where necessary so I can get a better night's sleep. My personal sleep number is a 30, and that is where I sleep the best. I have been tracking that kind of information on the Sleep IQ app, and it feels awesome knowing that I'm getting the best night's sleep possible. 
Discover proven quality sleep. Save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed during the Memorial Day sale. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash moms. If you're looking to try champagne on a beer budget, have we got the company for you. Cameron Hughes has world-class wines for a fraction of what you can get from those other guys. Plus, it's mailed directly to your door so you don't even have to go out and deal with people to get it. Cameron Hughes isn't just a great price, but they have incredible wine, and that's because of their unique business model. Cameron Hughes knows most great wine costs an arm and a leg, but they also know that's because these big wineries have to have low quantities to keep the prices high. So Cameron Hughes simply buys the overages from these top wineries and sells it to you under the Cameron Hughes label for a fraction of the cost. Champagne taste, meet beer budget cost. As someone who really enjoys the occasional glass of wine, I was so excited to try something new from Cameron Hughes. One of mine and my husband's favorites was the Lot 765 Zinfandel. Sometimes Zinfandels can be too sweet for my taste, but this one was perfect. It was the right level of fruity, but still had the drier bite that I look for in a red wine. Go to chwine.com today to get 20% off the already great prices and free shipping when you buy three or more bottles. Just enter our code MOMS at checkout. That's chwine.com with code MOMS for 20% off three bottles or more plus free shipping. Great wine, great prices delivered right to your door in the safety of your own home. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about the messy and very expensive divorce that Darren and Charla Mack were in the middle of. Darren felt that the judge presiding over their case was treating him unfairly and viewing Charla in a privileged light. And he was also dating a new woman at this time who had problems with the same judge as well. The divorce battle with Charlotte was still ongoing, and Darren's attorneys were preparing to appeal to the Nevada Supreme Court, which was something that Charlotte knew was game over for her. So she was finally ready to make this final effort at coming to a settlement rather than risking losing in a Supreme Court case. And then something shocking happened. On June 12, 2006, at 11.05, Judge Weller was in his chambers on the third floor of the Washoe County Justice Center when suddenly the windows exploded around him and he was shot while standing in his office. He was hit in the chest, but he was still conscious. When the police arrived, he told them that he'd been standing by the window when a bullet hit him, as well as many pieces of shrapnel, some of which also hit his secretary who was nearby. When officers asked the judge, who would have so much animosity towards him that they would want to hurt him, only one person came to mind, and that person was Darren Mack. He told the police all about Darren and the very expensive and contentious divorce he was going through and said he believed Darren was behind some anonymous negative comments on this internet blog, and he also believed that Darren had created this false advertisement about a motorcycle that the judge was selling. I guess he didn't really have a motorcycle for sale. This is something I've heard of people doing like as a prank, you know, putting somebody's you know, phone number on a Craigslist or something and saying, hey, you know, call this number and ask for this thing. Even And that person is not selling the thing. So right. it's just like a major annoyance. Um, but it can also be used. I mean, I've heard of it being used in like much worse ways than that. Yeah, um, I would never think of doing it in a malicious way. But I've I think I've the only thing I can remember doing is something where I had to give an email address and I gave it for a friend because I knew it was like something that was just going to be a constant email source. And it was just funny. So I was like, right. this is perfect. But then at the same time, if somebody did that to me, I'd be like, okay, joke's over after my right. fifth email. <laughs> right. But to do yeah. it to somebody like this where you're getting phone calls, and I guarantee he probably put some like crazy, like, I'm selling this motorcycle for $200, something where everyone's going to keep calling him. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. 
So Judge Weller had several injuries, including swelling above his left eye and abrasions on his chest and the back of his left arm, left knee, right hand, and abdomen. It was determined that he was shot sniper style from a nearby location. He actually had five entrance wounds in total and needed to have bullet fragments removed, but some of the fragments actually just had to stay in him. The judge was taken to the hospital where he only spent one day before leaving because he feared for his safety being in this, you know, public hospital. Yeah. So, yeah. So he spent his time recovering in various hotel rooms, all with heavy armed security. Oh, wow. So as police were just starting to investigate the attempted assassination of Judge Weller, they receive a call from a man named Daniel Osborne, who said that he was a friend of Darren Mack. Of course, this is very interesting to the police because Darren Mack is the name that the Judge Weller gave them about who could be behind, you know, his attempted assassination. So Daniel tells police that he's a friend of Darren's. They had actually been living together for a while, kind of bachelor style, for the last several months. They had gone to high school together years before. So Daniel tells police that he was moving out of Darren's house that day because Darren said that his daughter Erica was coming to live with him for the summer. So the night before, though, Darren told Daniel that Charlotte was going to be dropping Erica off at nine the next morning and asked if his friend Daniel could take Erica, his daughter, to his mom Joan's house after Charlotte dropped her off. It's a lot of names, but the mom was dropping the daughter off. He asked his friend if his friend could bring him to bring her to his mom's house. And so, you know, Darren said that he had some appointments to go to that day. So in the morning of June 12th, Daniel said he went to Darren's house and saw Sharla and Erica arrive and enter the house. He said that he then saw Daniel and his dog go inside the house as well. So when they're all inside, Darren asked Daniel to take his daughter Erica upstairs while he talks to Sharla. So Daniel takes Erica upstairs, but the dog stayed downstairs. A little while later, Daniel's dog started barking like crazy, so he went to go check and see what was going on. As he walked down the stairs, though, he saw Darren walking up the stairs with a towel around his hand. The dog was following Darren, and Daniel realized that this dog is covered in blood. Daniel, you know, quickly checks the dog and realizes there's no injury on the dog, so that's when he becomes worried that something was terribly wrong and that Erica, who was just eight years old at the time, might be in danger. So he takes Erica and the two leave. On their way out, Daniel notices that Charlotte's car was still parked outside the house. A little while later, Darren calls Daniel saying, you know, he wants to see his daughter. So Daniel meets Darren in a local coffee shop parking lot and goes inside while Darren talks to his daughter outside. Daniel then takes Erica to Darren's mother's house. And when he gets there to drop the little girl off, Daniel tells Joan that he's really concerned about Charlotte. And Joan said, you know, she's getting scared and just wants Daniel to stop talking like that. And that's whenever Daniel decides that he needs to call the police. So officers did go to the house to try to speak to someone, but there was no one there. There was no answer, so they left without further investigation. But after Darren was identified as a possible suspect in the Judge Weller shooting, police called Daniel back and asked him to meet them at Darren's house. At the house, Daniel immediately noticed that Charlotte's car had been moved. When he left the house with Erica, the car was in front of the house, as we said, and now it wasn't there. Officers checked the doors, and all the doors, including the garage, were closed. But there were multiple stains on the driveway that looked like they could have been blood, and this led Detective Jenkins to believe that somebody inside the house might be hurt. He knocked on the door of the home, and nobody answered. So he tried to call Darren's phone, and also got no answer, of course. 
At this point, Daniel said, hey, I, you know, used to live here. I know my way around and I can open this garage door. And so the officers were like, "Okay, you know, that's I've heard of that before where the police are like, we don't have a warrant. We can't do anything. But if somebody else lets us in, then that's a different story. So Daniel opened the garage door. And sadly, that is when everybody's suspicions and fears were confirmed. Charla was found laying face down in a large puddle of blood. She suffered deep stab wounds and slashes to her upper neck and torso, her arms, and her legs. Her car was also parked in the garage and had a ton of blood inside. Her keys were laying in the passenger seat soaked in blood, and there was blood on the driver's side of the car and shift column and on the steering wheel and the top part of the brake handle. Officers also noticed what appeared to be drag marks from where Charlotte's car was parked on the driveway going into the garage where her body was discovered. So it kind of looked like she may have been stabbed while she was in her car in the driveway. And this probably would have been when she was trying to leave the house. Um, and so then it would it, what it was looking like from this evidence is that he may have possibly dragged her body to the garage and then later moved her car in there too. The severity of Charlotte's injuries was soon learned. She'd been stabbed seven times and she suffered blunt force injury to her upper left arm, neck, and nose. The cause of death was ruled to be a stab wound to the left neck region, which injured the neck structure, but there was evidence of multiple sharp force and blunt force injuries. Detective Jenkins did a quick sweep of the house to make sure there was nobody else inside. And while he was in there, he noticed there were several pieces of yellow notepaper with different lists written on them in the kitchen. One of these lists was a to-do list that appeared to be linked to both Charla's murder and the attempted murder of Judge Weller. So keep in mind at this point, though, there's no warrant to officially be searching the house for this kind of evidence. So Detective Jenkins has to be very careful, you know, that he doesn't touch anything or disturb anything or really even say anything. He just has to make these mental notes about what he saw in the house while he was in there. But he, you know, they don't have a warrant. So you got to be really careful with that kind of thing. So while he was walking around, he also noticed an envelope jacket from a rental car company and saw that Darren had rented a car on June 7th and it was supposed to be returned the next day on June 13th. He also found an empty dagger sheath on the floor in the master bedroom closet. Detectives eventually did obtain a warrant and were able to conduct a more thorough search. During this search, they found what they called hostile information on Darren's computer about Judge Weller. They found that he'd been looking at literature regarding alleged abuse and corruption in family court, documents about Judge Weller's judicial campaign contributions, and other papers regarding Judge Weller, and even found MapQuest directions to Judge Weller's home and the home of Charla's attorney. I guess he was really counting on there being no changes to his route. I was thinking about that with MapQuest, like how you used to print things out, but now on Google it will tell you like, oh, you can't go this way because there's construction or something. Yeah. I was just thinking back to the time of MapQuest and how archaic that sounds now. (laughs) Right? I know. Either way, though, like having these two, there's no reason he should know where either of them live. Just no. None at all. So on June 13th, 2007, a warrant was issued for Darren's arrest and the murder of his wife, Sharla. But Darren was nowhere to be found. And soon a nationwide manhunt ensued. Police continued to investigate the shooting of Judge Weller. Police had no idea that Darren was gone. He had actually fled over the Mexican border and ended up in Ensenada, Mexico. Upon arriving, Darren parks his car in this random parking garage, and then he headed for Cabo San Lucas and checked into an upscale resort where he spent a few days before traveling onto Puerto Vallarta. Back in Reno, detectives worked to find more clues in the shooting of Judge Weller and the stabbing of Charlotte Mack. 
They reviewed surveillance footage from the Washoe County Justice Center parking garage and saw that a 2006 Ford Explorer drove into the garage and parked on the fifth floor at 10.42 a.m. The driver then backed the SUV into a space, and then at 10.56 a.m., the hatchback was lifted, and then it was closed six minutes later. The driver then drove the Explorer out of the garage. Investigators believe that it was Darren who was behind the wheel of that Explorer. It was determined that the shot that hit Judge Weller was fired from 515 feet away from the parking garage across from the judge's office. The bullet was either from a .223 or a .243 caliber rifle, which is the kind that might be used to shoot a deer. Detectives knew this was not a sniper rifle and likely not a very knowledgeable or skilled shooter. The type of bullet used was only a semi-jacketed lead point bullet. Someone who knew a lot about guns would know that this type of bullet being fired from that kind of distance would likely come apart in fragments when it hit the glass and that anyone standing on the other side would be pelted with bullet fragments and broken glass instead of being shot with this bullet. A sniper rifle, on the other hand, would fire bullets of a high caliber and with a full metal jacket. And we're going to get into so many more details of this story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. The other day, my daughter asked me if her eyes will look like a zombie like mine when she gets older. And the answer is yes, absolutely. But lucky for her, I found magic in a container, and that's my Thrive Cosmetics Brilliant Eye Brightener in Stella. This shade really looks good on everyone, and I can put just a little on the inside of my eyes, and suddenly I look like the living people in the zombie movies, and not the dead ones. I am obsessed with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. It's the best-selling mascara, one is literally sold every five seconds, and for great reason. It's flake-free, smudge-free, and clump-free, perfect for all-day wear. It's like getting a set of lash extensions before you leave the house. And best of all, their mascara, as well as all Thrive Cosmetics, meet their clean beauty standards, which means that they're cruelty-free and never tested on animals. Not only does Thrive make amazing products, they go beyond skin deep and have a bigger-than-beauty mission that we both love. For every product purchased, Thrive is committed to support nonprofit partners with a donation of funds or products, including to women battling cancer. It's so great to know that they're standing beside and supporting women going through the most challenging times, and it makes me even more excited to join them by purchasing cosmetics through them. I love everything about Thrive Cosmetics. Their products are the best I've ever used, and their Bigger Than Beauty mission is truly inspiring. You're going to love them as much as we do. Visit thrivecosmetics.com slash moms for 15% off your first order. This is an exclusive offer you can only get here. That's thrive, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash moms for 15% off your first order. Thrivecosmetics.com slash moms. Life is full of surprises. One minute things are going great and the next you feel like things are out of control. Your mind is all over the place and you're struggling to find balance and peace. Or maybe you have critical or urgent things going on in your life that you need to discuss with someone and just have the opportunity to let it all out. BetterHelp Online Counseling may be the solution you've been looking for. I signed up for BetterHelp over a year ago, and when I signed up, I took a short quiz to figure out what I was looking for in a counselor and was matched right away to a therapist who I've really enjoyed talking to. My counselor is helping me work through some things I've actively been trying to avoid, and I love that I have the option to speak with her by video chat or phone calls. I personally prefer phone calls for the same reason I like having a podcast and not a YouTube channel. Plus, I can message her throughout the week just to check in. She sent me articles to read and makes me feel like she's genuinely invested in the things I want to work on. 
Being able to speak to my counselor from my home and at times that I can make work is one of the best gifts I've been able to give to myself. Everything you share with your counselor is confidential and BetterHelp can help match you with a counselor who is specialized in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were just getting more into the story of Darren Mack and the murder of Sharla Mack and the attempted murder of Judge Weller, who was presiding over their divorce proceedings. Um, We were talking about Judge Weller being shot while he was in his office, really being hit just with a lot of bullet fragments and broken glass, um, but he did survive that attack. And so they're investigating this and realizing that whoever has done this probably wasn't a very knowledgeable shooter. They didn't use the type of bullets that would have been appropriate for a sniper type of killing. So they're kind of thinking, you know, Darren might actually be the one that was involved in both of these things. So detectives interviewed Darren's new girlfriend, Alicia, to try and get more information. She said that she last saw Darren on June the 10th when she spent the night with him, but she last spoke to him through email on the night of June 11th, which was the night before Charlotte's body was discovered. She also told the police that in 2006, Darren told her about some suspicions he had that Charlotte might be sleeping with Judge Weller, and he was worried that the judge was going to approve of Charlotte taking their daughter Erica and moving off to California. Meanwhile, as police worked to investigate the crimes and build their case against Darren, he was hidden down in Mexico, but he wouldn't stay missing for long. 
On June 17th, just five days after Charlotte's murder, Darren contacted the DA's office and said that he wanted to turn himself in. After they talked things over with him, the FBI agreed and they arranged to meet Darren at 10.30 p.m. on June 22nd in the lobby of the hotel that he was staying in down in Mexico. Darren kept good on his word to surrender, which I always think in these cases, you hear about this sometimes where they make a plan to surrender and like a location and then it's like days later and it's like, what if they decide that like they don't want to do it? What if they... I don't know. I I always just think it's so interesting that the FBI is like, yeah, we'll give you two days, um, yeah. and then we're just trusting you that you're going to meet us where you say you are. Like, I I just I think wonder it's if they have eyes on them at that point that they're they, they you know. must in some way, yeah. Because I always just think that's so crazy. Whenever they're like, yeah, sure, two days later, you know. So Darren made good on the promise though, and he went down and surrendered to the officers when they showed up, and he was taken back to Nevada and booked into jail. In this case, Darren was charged with open murder, which is something I feel like we don't hear about a lot. I don't think we've ever talked about anything like this on the show. And maybe it's just a thing they do in Nevada. I don't, you know, some states have different things on their books. But for open murder, if you're charged with open murder, that means that Darren could be found guilty of first degree murder, second degree murder, or voluntary manslaughter. So they also added a deadly weapon enhancement to this murder charge. And then he was charged with the attempted murder of Judge Weller. After Darren was taken to jail, Sharla's mother was given custody of Erica, but Darren's mom, Joan, got visitation rights, and when she had Erica, they would go visit Darren in jail. It wasn't until 2007 that Darren finally went to trial. This was such a high publicity case at the time that jury selection was a little tricky, and the trial was actually moved to Las Vegas because they were concerned that they wouldn't be able to find an impartial jury in Reno. Prosecutors presented their case and said that Darren planned the shooting of Judge Weller and their evidence was that, you know, he asked his roommate ahead of time to take care of picking up his daughter and, you know, made this to-do list that they said amounted to, you know, kill my wife at nine and shoot the judge at 11. And they also pointed out, you know, that he rented this car, this Ford Explorer ahead of time. The prosecution said that Darren took Charlotte to the garage and then slashed her across the throat with a knife that he had on him before he went back inside. And then two hours later, he went and shot the judge and fled to Mexico. They alleged that Darren was so angry over their divorce and the settlement, and that was his motive for murdering Charlotte. They said that he wanted retaliation against Judge Weller because he was the one who caused all of it. The prosecution even came prepared with an expert to refute uh, the insanity plea that Darren's defense was going to be presenting. But after the prosecution rested, Darren instead took a plea deal. If his defense would have been able to present a case, they would have said that Darren killed Charlotte in self-defense and that he was suffering from insanity when he shot the judge. Their case was that Darren woke up on June 12th in literally what they said was an insane state of mind and did not understand right from wrong on that particular day. They said that he stabbed Charlotte in self-defense, quote, as a reasonable person would, end quote. And then after she died, he continued his insanity and shot the judge on his way out of town. If they presented their case, they would have also brought up all of this abuse that allegedly took place at the hand of Charlotte, as well as evidence to support that she was in fact a violent and dangerous person. Darren's new girlfriend, Alicia, backed up his story about him being afraid of Sharla. Alicia said that Darren told her about the abuse and that she'd personally overheard Sharla screaming at Darren over the phone. Family members of Darren also said that they'd witnessed Sharla's behavior. His cousin, Corey, said that in October of 2003, Sharla actually punched Darren in the stomach, 
verbally abused him and belittled him while they were on a cruise. Corey actually had to step in that night and get Sharla to calm down. Darren's son, Jory, also said that he'd seen Sharla get violent with Darren, but never saw his dad return this violence. When Jory was around 10 years old, he witnessed Sharla smack his father. When he was 12, he said that he saw Sharla jump on top of Darren and hit him in the chest. He said that he saw her fly into a rage several other times. According to Jory, Sharla was also abusive towards himself and his mom. Deborah, his mom, actually contacted CPS to look into it. Not only did Jory say that Sharla was unpleasant, but he also said that her mom, Soraya, was unpleasant as well, which was something that Darren also alleged. He said that Soraya was the reason that Sharla was so quote-unquote crazy in the first place. Darren said that Soraya was into astrology, and she believed that she was merely a pawn to the alignment of the stars, and she had no control over her own actions. Another friend of Darren's, Michael Lobb, who happened to be an attorney and had been a friend of Darren's for over 30-plus years, provided further stories to attest to the fact that Darren feared his wife. Michael actually ended up loaning Darren a bulletproof vest because Darren thought that Charlotte was going to kill him. Imagine that conversation saying to your friend, I think my spouse is going to kill me. Do you have something I can use? How serious do things have to to be at that point? Because you have to feel just terrified, you know, to be able to share that story, like to to go to that point, to not, to disclose that, you, things have to be really, really bad. You know, you're not going to just do that a one-off conversation. That's, that's something that's really, really serious. So Michael even said that Darren often stayed in their guest house because he wanted to avoid Sharla's wrath. He said he also saw marks on Darren that were consistent with being physically attacked and said that Darren had all but accepted that Sharla would murder him one day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And yet another attorney agreed, Darren's divorce attorney from his first divorce from his wife, Deborah, and uh, said that he had even hung out with Darren and Sharla socially after the couple were married. He described Sharla as, quote, very smart, clever, and cunning, end quote. He said that about four years into the marriage, Darren actually came to him and said that Sharla had a crazy bad temper and he was worried she'd, quote, stick a knife in him. Prior to stabbing Sharla, Darren repeated the concern that she was out to get him more than once. Sharla and Darren were also seeing a therapist together who said she witnessed Sharla's unprovoked rage during their sessions. There were multiple people, in addition to the ones that Melissa just mentioned, who spoke to this effect regarding Sharla. So it does seem like she may have been a little unstable and had some violent tendencies. There was documented proof that Darren had tried to resolve his issues with Sharla. There were multiple police reports, there were mediation reports, and there were even applications made for domestic violence protection orders that Darren filed before the murder back in 2005 and 2006. Even Sharla seemed to acknowledge her own rage. She actually kept a journal, and the journal entries really were all over the place, but overall it seemed like she was trying to get her life in order. She wrote about Darren and she admitted in the journal that he was trying to make things work out and was trying to make her happy. Some of the journal entries had a more upbeat and positive tone and others were just way out there and were just coming from a really dark place. Darren really wanted to take the stand and tell his version of the story to persuade the court to believe that he did act in self-defense when he stabbed Sharla. According to Darren, days before June 12th, he asked his friend and former roommate Daniel to take his daughter Erica to his mother's house so that he could go to some appointments. 
at 9.15 a.m. He says that Charlotte arrived with Erica and he met them in the driveway. And Charlotte immediately became hostile and verbally abusive towards Darren while she was kind of following him around and following him into his garage. Once they were inside the garage, the fight turned violent. Darren alleged that Charlotte attacked him with a weapon of some kind, but he didn't say what exactly the object was that she picked up and used, but he said that she struck him in the face and started swinging at him again while belittling him and screaming these things at him. Darren said that she got in a second blow that hit him so hard it messed up his eye for 10 days. He said that Charlotte continued the attack and continued attempting to hit him, and eventually they ended up in a scuffle that caused Darren's revolver to fall out of his pocket. Charlotte allegedly grabbed the gun and pointed it at Darren and he wrestled her to the ground and he says at this point, you know, he's actually in fear for his life. He doesn't know what Charlotte is going to do, how far she is willing to take this. Now there's a gun that's involved. So he says he grabbed the dagger that he always kept on him and stabbed Charlotte to protect himself. During this whole ordeal, Darren sliced his own finger, so he wrapped a towel around his hand and went into the bathroom to take off his clothes, which he then realized were covered in blood. That's whenever he and Daniel crossed paths, uh, whenever Daniel was going downstairs to check on the dog. Darren took his bloody clothes off and wrapped them in the towel he had used for his hand. He then took a shower, got dressed, drank some water, and said that's whenever he really realized what he had done, and he said he knew he had to leave. He then loaded the rented Explorer up with guns and ammo and headed out. While he was getting ready to leave, he saw Charlotte's car in the driveway and knew he needed to move it into the garage so no one would notice it. The problem was, Charlotte's dog was actually in her car, so Darren just rolled the windows down and left the dog there. He had to move Charlotte's body out of the way to pull her car in, and when he did, he realized that some of her hair was tangled up in the revolver, so he yanked it out and tried to clean the gun and the knife, Uh, with some towels nearby, but eventually gave up and decided to find a place to dispose of them entirely. He said he later tossed these items in a landfill. Darren then dragged Charlotte's body to the back of the garage and then made an attempt to clean up the crime scene. There was too much blood and he couldn't even come close to cleaning it up. So that's whenever he pulled his own car, a Jeep Cherokee, into the garage next to Charlotte's and then went inside to think things over. He then wrote a list of what had just happened. He was very much a list maker and he made lists to help him make sense of things, which I think a lot of us are list makers in that, not that situation, but in other things in life. Um, But this list is one of the many things that police found when they responded to the crime scene. The list doesn't make a ton of sense, but we'll go over quickly what was on it. The first thing said, Dan, take Erica to Joan. The next was Cherokee side window down. The next was garage door open jewelry side. Then it said end problem. Then put LEX in garage lock home. The next was parking garage if yes. And the last one was attorney office. Yeah, so none of that makes a lot of sense to us. I assume those are kind of like shorthand notes that he would know what he meant when he wrote those things down. But I think it is pretty clear that they have something to do, it does seem like these notes have something to do with Charlotte's murder and with the shooting of Judge Weller. Right. So as we've been saying, the defense never presented their case because Darren took a plea deal. But if they had been able to present a case, they would have brought up several things that, in their opinion, proved Darren's innocence, such as the fact that Darren was very organized, as we said, and he used his phone calendar for everything. The date of June 12th did have some entries in it. He had an entry at 8 a.m. that said, warning, start of cycle, which 
literally was a warning to himself that Sharla was starting her cycle because according to him, wow. he knew that that's when, you know, she was definitely more at a risk of having an argument or fighting with him. Um, so he made a note of that on his phone. So at 10 a.m., there was another entry that said, Joan, pick up Erica, which I assume was just picking up his daughter. At 11 a.m., there was an entry that said, pick up Ambien. So the defense would have said that none of that, nothing that was in his phone, indicated that he was planning to murder Sharla at 9 a.m. or to shoot the judge at 11. According to Darren, after the murder, he left in the rented Explorer and met with Daniel and his daughter Erica at this coffee shop. And then as he was heading to catch a flight out of Reno, he made a split-second decision to, quote, do something to prevent others from being hurt similarly as he had been hurt, end quote. He drove to the Justice Center parking garage and shot the judge from a long distance away and then headed for Mexico. Darren said the reason his defensive wounds weren't so obvious by the time he turned himself in was because it had been long enough that they had healed. Investigators didn't really find enough blood at the crime scene to suggest that Darren was seriously hurt in the fight in the first place. They did say they found a small amount of blood that would have been consistent with cutting his finger on the knife, but nothing to suggest that he actually lost a lot of blood or had a severe injury. Darren asked his defense attorney to look for the gun in the landfill to prove his story, but the defense actually chose not to do that. They also failed to hire a crime scene investigator to help put together a scenario that would be consistent with Darren's defense. As for the attempted murder case in the shooting of Judge Weller, the defense said that Darren, quote, had a delusional disorder and belief that the Second Amendment allowed him to shoot the judge, end quote. The defense said that the judge had handed down these unfair rulings that would make anyone angry and that Darren's brain was so fried on drugs that he lost all reason and judgment and therefore was insane. There was no real evidence, however, to support insanity, but the defense did find a doctor that would have attempted to establish insanity, but even he told the defense team that there were major problems with going the insanity route in this case. And so when the defense heard, you know, this professional saying, hey, I don't really think insanity is going to work here, they actually asked him not to even write a report. Like they were like, hey, don't bother. We don't need anything that yeah. you have to say. Yeah. So this doctor did um, write an interim report about Darren that said that he had a delusional disorder with depersonalization, but the report did not specify what the delusion was. The doctor cited the meningitis recovery and Darren's, quote, distorted case of reality surrounding the divorce proceedings as the uh, source of this disorder. The defense also found a psychopharmacologist named Ronald Siegel who was going to testify for them. We're not really sure what he was going to testify to in this particular case, but um, a fun fact about Dr. Siegel is that he was famous for testifying in the trial of Robert Blake, and during that trial, he talked about the effects of smoking crack cocaine, which he said on the stand that he knew all about because he had done it before, number one, and number two, he had taught monkeys how to smoke crack cocaine. So I don't know what like what? reason you would have to get on the stand and say that. I don't know if that like bolsters your credibility in some I know. way. I feel like you'd hold that pretty close to the chest. That wouldn't be something I would, you know, yeah. I would offer as information for anything about me if I had done that. Uh, right. Gotten monkeys involved <laughs> in that. That's insane. And if you're using this guy as a witness at a trial, I would just advise him probably to keep that to himself. Yeah. <laughs> what are we not going to mention? The monkey right. smoking crack, right? Yeah, And then exactly. he goes on there and does it. And you're like, it's not again. 
<laughs> yeah, so uh, this doctor actually never wrote a report about Darren. So as we said, we don't know what he would have been testifying about in this case, but it, just a fun and interesting little fact there that he was uh, potentially going to be a part of this case. Wow. So after the prosecution presented their case and rested, Darren was offered this plea deal. Darren would plead guilty to first-degree murder, and the prosecution would drop the deadly weapon enhancement addition. As part of this deal, he would also give an Alfred plea for the attempted murder charge. He wouldn't get any deal for this charge, and they wouldn't drop the deadly weapon enhancement in that case. His defense told him that his sentences would most likely run concurrently, probably looking at about 20 years for murder and 4 to 8 for attempted murder, so he would be out in about 28 years. One attorney even told Darren not to sweat it because he had connections with the DOC and would get him into a good prison and maybe would even be able to get the governor to commute his sentence. Of first-degree murder? What? (laughs) So his own defense team did not tell Darren that he would have to receive at least life in prison without parole for 20 years or that his sentences would definitely run consecutively since they were two separate offenses. They also didn't bother to inform him that the jury had the option to find him guilty of lesser charges of second-degree murder or manslaughter, what you were talking about before the open charges. They could have looked at different ones. And they didn't point out how unlikely it was that he'd ever be paroled because the parole board wouldn't look too kindly on someone who attempted to assassinate a judge. Basically, his defense took him, walked him right down the plank. Oh, my gosh. On November 5th, 2007, Darren pleaded guilty to the first-degree murder without the deadly weapon enhancement, and he gave his Alfred plea for the attempted murder with the deadly weapon enhancement. Later appeal documents reveal that Darren was instantly regrettable about this decision uh, to take this plea deal. It is suggested that Darren's defense attorneys knew they couldn't win the case, but that the Mack family actually had already paid them $1.25 million to represent Darren. So they were going to be wondering what their money went to for such a crappy defense. And, you know, Darren's family and friends believe that his defense needed Darren to take this deal so that they could skate by without any questions from Darren's family regarding his expensive and ineffective counsel. So Darren filed a motion to set the plea aside on the grounds of ineffective counsel, but after a four-day hearing, the motion was denied. On January 17, 2008, Darren was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 20 years for Charla's murder, and he was given a consecutive 8 to 20 years for the attempted murder of Judge Weller, but they also tacked on another 8 to 20 year sentence for the deadly weapon enhancement, which is a lot. That's for that like to be an enhancement thing and for it to add that much more time. I can see maybe yeah. like, but it's like you're not, I get how like Darren was like, oh, that sounds okay. But then not realizing that just that enhancement being on there can add that much more time to his sentence. Like right. that's, it's a lot. It's quite a bit. So uh, Darren actually appealed this to the Nevada Supreme Court, and he said that he wasn't really sure what was going on when he entered his pleas, and he felt that he was coerced into taking the deal in the first place. The Supreme Court did not show him any mercy. They did not feel bad for him at all. They actually reaffirmed his sentence, and all of his other appeals have been unsuccessful as well. As of today, Darren is 60 years old and serving his time in Lovelock Correctional Center in Lovelock, Nevada. He's still serving his first-degree murder sentence and hasn't even started serving his other sentences yet. There's no parole hearing details available, but I'm assuming based on that that he is going to probably be in prison for quite some time. Yeah. 
Man, so this is a story I heard of a long time ago, but I was telling Mandy before, I had no idea about really any details about Sharla. Uh, what I had seen never mentioned, you know, alleged abuse or anything like that. It does make you wonder with his sentencing and stuff, his son, Jory, I believe, has been interviewed and said basically the situation with Sharla that it was self-defense. And so I can see how they are fighting that charge. Like it, it does seem here's what I can't get in. Here's what I can't get through. Why would he, the guy that makes the list, have his friend there, his daughter upstairs and kill her mom when there's a kid witness that her mom was there and his friend is there? These people are going to notice. I don't think he's a stupid man. Why would you do that? I don't think it was ever intended for that to happen. I just don't. Right. No, I agree with you on that. I do think that first degree murder in this case, mm, I don't think you would have convinced me of that if I was on a jury. I don't think I would have gone for first degree just because, like you said, I don't really see how this could have been premeditated. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. I do see the argument for, you know, like he was saying that this fight broke out. They had a history of this type of arguing and fighting and violence. And I can see how it would escalate to that kind of a situation. So, of course, I do feel like he committed a crime and he does right. deserve to have, um, you know, so he deserves to spend some time in, in prison. But I don't know that I agree first degree murder here. I do think that it was a situation that was very, very bad. I think their relationship was really hostile and very dangerous and volatile. And unfortunately, this is what happened in the end. But yeah, first degree, I don't think in this case I agree with. Yeah. I can't believe they got him to agree to a plea deal for first degree murder. That's just, man, yeah, the the counsel in that case, I don't I don't understand it. But of course it doesn't excuse or say anything about then why did he leave and then go try to kill the judge like that. There's a disconnect there for me then because then I think why on earth why those are things are they're connected but they're not connected. If if this was not intentional and then you intentionally do this, I don't get it. So I mean, I can kind of see the thought process there, though, you know, that he's done this, he's asked, you know, he's stabbed now his wife and he's realizing, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is the situation. I could honestly see him being angry and just being like this, none of this would have happened if it wasn't for this judge and, you know, yeah. and then kind of just losing it from there. But yeah, I mean, it does, it, it is all very confusing. It doesn't really, none of it makes any sense. You know, it's just very sad and it's yeah. always sad to see when like a family goes down this path and, you know, a couple has this kind of relationship and then this is the kind of ending, you know, yeah. it's just very, very tragic and sad and sad for Erica, you know, who was only eight years old yeah. when this happened. Yeah. I definitely can see why the family is look, you know, wanting another trial or something because he really didn't even get to present his case. So I can understand that. But at the end of the day, Charlotte lost her life, you know, and he was the one that did it. So right. that's, you know, where we end. Right. Okay, Melissa, are we ready to turn the page and move on to our last thing before we go? Yes, we are. And this week we got a suggestion from Emma. Um, she emailed us a last thing before we go suggestion to give each other a list of ingredients and the other person has to guess what the recipe is. Okay. All right. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Um, I'll start. Okay. Okay, here we go. Feta cheese, tzatziki sauce, lettuce, tomato, lamb, pita. <laughs> I have no idea. It's a hero. And it oh. is my hero food. I mean, when I see one, like it literally is my hero when I have it. <laughs> I have a question. Okay, so hero spelled G-Y-R-O, right? Yes. And it, okay, so when they sell them in the mall, heroes are made of lamb? 
Hero traditionally is lamb. Yeah, you can. Okay. I sometimes get chicken, but um, I like lamb. Yeah, hero meat is typically lamb, though. I know you're not going to believe me, but pita bread is kind of, it's not noodles to me, but there's something. It's I don't understand how, though. Okay, it's like kind of chewy, so I feel like I'm going to choke on it. But if it's if it's baked, like, okay, if I make like a pita pizza or something, I can do that. But if it's just raw pita, it's a choking hazard for me. It's a literal oh. choking hazard for me. I can't do it. Oh I don't, So gosh. I don't think I've ever had a hero. Oh, my gosh. You are missing out on one of the best things in life. I am going to take your word for it. I'm not going to believe you, but I will take your word for it. <laughs> okay. Mine is pistachio pudding mix, crushed pineapples, miniature marshmallows, chopped nuts, uh, whipped cream, and I like to put some coconut in it. Okay. It's not ambrosia. Not ambrosia salad. Because that has apples, right? I think so. I don't entirely know, but anytime I see it, I'm always it does have cherries in it, which I'm always drawn to. But oh no no no! So that's else. what I don't like. That's what I don't like. I don't like that one. So this must be Watergate salad. It is. Ding ding ding! Good job. Yay. I love Watergate salad. That's my like go to because it is no effort. You literally are just like pistachio pudding. Throw it in everything. You just throw it in and mix it, and you're like, wow, this is so good. I love that. It's so good. My daughter wouldn't eat it forever because it looks weird. It's like that light green color. But I'm like, it has all the good stuff in it. Everything yeah. you want. It looks yeah. like a three-year-old made it, to be quite honest. Those are the best kind of things. Yeah, we went to a little neighborhood gathering uh, my family did last night. And somebody had brought like a big bowl of – it was nothing but fruit. I mean, it was just berries and there was mango chunks in there. There was apples cut up. It was just fruit. A bunch of right. fruit in, in a bowl. And my little one could not stop going and eating it and was like, this fruit is so good. This is the best fruit ever. And I'm like, I cannot get you to eat half that stuff at home. Right, I don't understand what is the appeal of just having it all in a giant bowl. But they loved it. And I was like, hey, well, that's there good. you go. Yeah, yeah. I love anything you can just throw together like that. It's great. For sure. Okay. My next one is peanut butter, cinnamon, vanilla, cocoa powder, agave nectar, avocados <laughs> please stop with the avocados and everything I, this is an announcement for the world stop trying to sneak <laughs> avocados in everything i get that it's healthy fats but you don't have to put it in sweet things well you don't have to but it doesn't hurt you this is avocado Ugh. chocolate peanut butter pudding what sounds not great about that that's too many things that is too many flavor avocado peanut butter and chocolate i oh draw the line gosh. at peanut butter yes. and chocolate Oh, no, no, no. I love it. I actually had started off looking for weird recipes that I could try and trick you with. And then I came across this one and I was like, wait a minute, this isn't weird. This is great. I can't wait to try this. So I saved the recipe for avocado chocolate peanut butter pudding and I'm going to make it. Okay. Well, good luck with that one. I, I have feelings. Okay. My next one is one of my favorite things, cocktail shrimp. The whole meal isn't, but the cocktail shrimp are. Uh, canned corn, frozen mixed vegetables, chicken broth, water, and why don't we just throw in some unflavored gelatin at the end? There's a lot of reasons not to do that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> shrimp jello? Is it's, it's jello and shrimp. It's shrimp yeah. inside of unflavored jello, but I don't know any reason you would do that unless you're making this disgusting 70s dish called aspic, which is where you put a bunch of food that is not supposed to be encased in gelatin, encased in gelatin. So that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> I feel like using the word vintage in the title uh, makes me believe that it's whatever the heck aspic is. 
vintage <laughs> shrimp jello salad so next get together guys vintage oh, shrimp no, jello no. salad absolutely if you not. don't want to be invited places that's what i'm going to start doing I don't want to be invited places. I'm going to start making this and they'll be <laughs> well, like, they'll don't just invite say, Melissa. They'll still invite you. They'll be like, hey, Melissa, can you bring um, the paper plates? <laughs> <laughs> what if I also like sneeze on all the food? I'm going to do right. something. I'm never going to do anything again. All right, Mandy, oh, uh, what's your next one? My last and final one is egg, minced garlic, pie crust, butter, ground pork, pepper, pepper. Stop pepper. it. <laughs> <laughs> You and your freaking meat pie. It Ugh. is the Christmas miracle meat pie. It's not a miracle. It's very easy and delicious, and I love it. No, it's not a miracle. It's a curse. I would be, feel like I was cursed <laughs> if somebody fed that to me. I just don't get savory, but I don't like chicken pot pie. I don't like anything like that. Like what? Pies are sweet. I okay. don't want a savory so pie. So is it safe to say that you don't like anything good? No, I just told you I like sweet pie. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't. Uh, I don't like the combination of things. It's very mm, like save. Mm, I I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's really oh. upsetting me. But like a hot pot. Think of that. A hot pie. We can't put but those two things together. Well, even if it's sweet, I like it hot. I like a hot apple pie or like yeah, a hot I realized berry cobbler that, or something. Yeah. Halfway through that, that wasn't really the <laughs> argument I was trying to make. <laughs> hot meat pie although i don't want a cold meat pie either <laughs> oh my know. gosh it's good hot or cold okay let's just move it's on I- last one <laughs> all right hominy water peanut oil salt old bay seasoning ranch seasoning optional hominy hominy is a type of corn and i might not be selling saying it correctly i think you are but i think i don't understand what you do with it you put it all together and annoy whoever you share a hotel room with. And corn it's nuts. Corn nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so meat yeah. pie and corn nuts will never go away, I guess. We no. just <laughs> it's sadly that's our theme. It started out as Diet Coke and chickens and we've moved to meat pies and corn nuts. So yeah. <laughs> who says our show hasn't evolved? Right? Yeah, I don't want I don't want to ever hear that we have been the same the whole time because we have not. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, that was a great episode. This was fun. Uh hopefully our audio sounds great. I think it will. And um I don't think we have any real announcements. You can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. Check out our, our amazing sponsors this week. We put them all in the show notes so they're easy to click to if you want to check them out. And I know last time you mentioned reviews. Feel free oh, yeah. to leave us a review. Yes. We would love it. Yeah, yes. We don't really push for reviews a lot or anything, and so and we don't really read them. We just appreciate whenever people say, hey, I reviewed your show and rated it, and it does really help us out with algorithm stuff. So if you would like to rate or review the show, please do so. Um, we really would appreciate it. Yeah, and if you do, if you guys start leaving really nice things, I'll go back to start reading them, but I can't read them right. because sometimes <laughs> people are really mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, guys. We will see you back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much. <laughs>